This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm so glad you could join me on this episode today. We are going to be hearing from Lynn Wilhite, and she's sharing her story about treatment-resistant depression, something that she's still working through today. Lynn is a social worker and mom to a three-year-old boy. She has suffered from postpartum depression since his birth, but even before that, she was struggling during pregnancy. And so far, no medications have been able to help her in the way that she needs although there is a little bit of hope from her latest medication. She really wanted to make sure that people out there who are dealing with treatment-resistant depression, specifically in the postpartum period, know that there are other people out there suffering as well. She is one of them, and she wants people to know that they're not alone. These conversations are not shared as often, and it can really make people who are still struggling, who aren't getting the help that they need, whether it be from medication or therapy or both, continue to make them feel worse because it's really hard, really, really hard to continue trying to find healing and trying to get back to yourself when all of the things you've been trying are not working the way that you want to, or you get a little glimpse of hope and then it doesn't work again. She created the Instagram page, My Journey with PPD, as a way to try and reach other moms and partners who may have had a similar experience. Her hope is to bring awareness to the fact that perinatal mood and anxiety disorders don't always have an easy fix, and loved ones really need to support a mother for the duration of her journey. She is going to be sharing parts of her story, which include a hospitalization, trying over 40 medications, and feeling really alone in that journey, having not heard from a lot of other moms who are dealing with a lingering postpartum depression. And for those who haven't yet found relief in their current medications and therapies, it is hard to continue trying to seek out a treatment that can help. And I think it's important to remember that depression is a medical condition. Just like other medical conditions, not every treatment is going to work for everybody. 
And for some people, there may be complexities that we are not aware of or that doctors are working hard to try and figure out. It is certainly never a matter of just deciding to feel better or snapping out of it or whatever the quips are that people like to throw out at people who are suffering. These are illnesses. It is not a choice and nobody would ever choose to be going through this. I'm so very grateful to Lynn for coming on and sharing her story. And along with her, I hope that this brings comfort to people who continue to suffer. Let's meet Lynn. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you for being with us and coming on to share your story. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm extra glad that you're coming on to share your story because I think a lot of people need to know that they're not alone because a lot of people have experiences that are similar to yours or maybe parallel in some ways and feel really, really alone in that process. So yeah, um, feel free to start wherever you'd like with your story. Okay. 2019, my husband and I were in Chicago and we were trying to have our first child. And I was on uh, medication um, already. So I was on an antidepressant and a sleeping medication. And I was working with my psychiatrist to kind of game plan what we would do for pregnancy. And so we were going to stay on the antidepressant and we were going to come off of the sleeping medication. So we were tapering down mm-hmm. and we were on the next to last dose of the sleeping medication. And we got pregnant very quickly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so my psychiatrist and I decided to kind of go completely off of the sleeping medication. That instigated about two to three weeks of not sleeping. It was crazy. And then that not sleeping instigated the entire depressive episode. So that's kind of the origins of my pregnancy depression, my perinatal Mm -hmm. depression, Mm -hmm. and then postpartum depression. I tried multiple, multiple medications during pregnancy. I finally got to see a reproductive psychiatrist in Chicago, which was great. And so they were more up to date on what I could and should and shouldn't take during pregnancy. And so Mm -hmm. each trimester, we kind of followed along with current guidelines and stuff like that and keeping my mental health in mind too. So I really appreciated that. Birth was great that, you know, medically speaking, everything went wonderfully, Mm. healthy baby. The only thing that happened was a lot of babies born to mothers taking SSRIs have neonatal adaptation syndrome. So they kind of are slower to clear their lungs or slower to cry or whatever. And so my baby was like that. And the NICU team was on standby because they knew I was on those medications. So they basically took him from me as soon as I gave birth and we're working on him for about 30 minutes in the room with me, making sure that he started breathing on his own and that he was like body temperature was okay and stuff like that. So that was my first taste of mom guilt. (laughs) I like to tell everyone Mm -hmm. because that was the first moment when, you know, everything changed. I all of a sudden felt terribly responsible for this young Mm -hmm. baby and his health situation because it was Mm -hmm. my medication that had caused it. So we went home. We had a few good days. My hormones were doing all the stuff. Yeah. And then <laughs> a few days into postpartum, I realized, oh, the depression's still here. Mm. Depression hasn't left me. Mm-hmm. It was very clear that it was still there. It was like a thick fog 
over everything. So I was continuing to work with my reproductive psychiatrist, my therapist, and essentially that brings me to where I am today, three years postpartum. I've been on over 40 medications, and I think my message is that healing is not linear, and Mm -hmm. I love that quote. I love telling people about that because... Yeah, it's just, it's not a linear journey. It's been anything but a linear journey. Yeah, for sure. So I think when, you know, some people are, I want to kind of walk back a little bit to what you were saying just right after birth and the neonatal adaptation syndrome, that this is a hard process for a new mom to go through. And that guilt is real. And also you had to make a decision for yourself which ultimately is also for your baby, for you to not be depressed and for you to be able to sleep during pregnancy. It's like, it can feel like no choice is a great choice, but there's there might be one that is like a little bit better mm-hmm. kind of a thing. And I'm sure like if you had a reproductive psychiatrist, they probably walked you through, you know, what could happen. Obviously the neonatal team knew, but even with that knowing ahead of time, and making the best decision you can with the information you have and all of those good things, it's really hard for that to be enough to sway the guilt. Yeah, it was, I knew everything. I was ready. Like you said, the medical team was on standby. You know, I was mm-hmm. in a great hospital downtown Chicago. Like everything was good and mm-hmm. the baby was taken care of. And mm-hmm. so I didn't need to worry from that standpoint, but the guilt yeah. was just um, immediate. Right. So did, um, like I'm thinking for other moms who've experienced this and had that same guilt for you, uh, was how long did that guilt hang around, like at that intensity? It's a good question. The guilt hung around for quite a while, but the intensity lessened. And so today, like my son is three and I think I've let go (laughs) of the guilt of the beginning of his life and that situation. But it took maybe the first year to really Mm -hmm. come to terms with what I had chosen and wondering, you know, if it had repercussions in other areas of his life, just kind of snowballing with my anxiety. So it took a while, but the intensity was the most intense in the moment in right after delivering in the hospital when he wasn't crying and I was just terrified that he was not okay. Mm -hmm. And then once he was okay, it lessened, but it was there and I felt mm. bad for mm. maybe about a year or so. That's really tough. Like you said, it contributed to your anxiety. So were you, I assume like a little bit more vigilant or hypervigilant, maybe looking out for making sure everything was okay and he was developing kind of within the normal range and all that? Yes. And actually my son has sensory processing disorder mm-hmm. that we've come to realize. And so I was very hypervigilant because of being guilty feeling about the medication during pregnancy and the way birth went. So throughout his life, he had colic for the first mm. six months at least. And Everyone kind of said, well, it's just colic, it's just acid reflux, it's just this, it's just that. But I was very hypervigilant and I was very on guard and I was constantly saying, no, I don't think this is a normal thing I'm seeing or, hey, his milestone is delayed. So we finally talked to the pediatrician at six months and he was assessed for state programming 
and was granted physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech therapy. Mm -hmm. So we did that until he was three. So then that, I would assume, like gives you plenty of opportunities to revisit your guilt. Yes. It's just so hard, even if you know the decision you're making is the right decision to kind of make peace with that. That guilt is no joke, especially when you're also still trying to figure out like how to get through your own depression and anxiety, which obviously is also going to magnify your guilt anyways. Mm-hmm. <sighs> it's a lot. Like you're already suffering. Yeah. And then you have to like have that guilt suffering as well. Yep. It's yeah. it's really, really hard. And I was already, you know, isolated because of the depression during mm-hmm. pregnancy and mm-hmm. There's already shame associated with depression and with the isolation that comes with that. And so I was already feeling ashamed of myself mm. during pregnancy and I didn't get to celebrate my pregnancy. I didn't mm. get to take like maternity photos and I didn't, you know, I was depressed pretty severely most of my pregnancy. So I didn't yeah. celebrate the pregnancy and it was just a continuation of that shame and guilt. For a long time. Yes. For years. <laughs> yeah. There's so many decisions you have had to make throughout the whole process. And that's a delicate balance of making sure that you're as well taken care of as possible because that's just just as important. Specifically, like being the kind of the holder of the baby, the vessel, right. the, the baby's growing in your health really does matter too. Mm-hmm. And when I say health, I mean mental health and health because, right, it all comes. Right. It's all in the same body. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. 
so with the your experience of like you were taking a medication prior to pregnancy that was useful and beneficial and the sleep medication the same thing then coming off of those obviously like you said there was a huge problem with not being able to sleep what the medication that you used to had taken before did it have the same benefit after it did during pregnancy actually it it was one of the only medications that continued to have the same efficacy during pregnancy and postpartum mm-hmm. um one of the only ones i was taking my antidepressant throughout pregnancy and that was not cutting it anymore it had been cutting it for years prior and then you know the slew of other things we tried. So that was the one thing that going back on that helped sleep. And so that was at least something we could hang on to. Mm -hmm. And then what you said, 40 medications that you've I have an Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, good. You would have to keep track for sure. Yeah. Uh, Just for your own reference. So you can know what helped and what Mm -hmm. didn't, but what, can you tell me what that process, like the beginning of that process what that was like? Yes. A lot more hopeful immediately postpartum. So immediately postpartum, breastfeeding didn't work for us. My son was not a good eater and he just decided that he wasn't going to eat much at all. And so we realized that we had to give him formula and we had to end up thickening it and all this stuff. So it was better anyway that we gave him formula. So that opened up my medication options Mm -hmm. more. And so I was excited and I was hopeful that, okay, I had suffered through this pregnancy with kind of limited medication options. And then postpartum, I was not sure if we were going to breastfeed and all that. So now I was here at this point where I could take more medications potentially and see a benefit. And Mm -hmm. so I was very hopeful and we would try a medication in conjunction with another antidepressant. So, you know, I would take an antidepressant and an antipsychotic or an antidepressant and a mood stabilizer Mm -hmm. and trial it for a month. And if it didn't show any efficacy at all, we would go on to the next one. Mm -hmm. And after doing that for three years, you begin, you start to definitely lose hope and everyone tells you you're going to heal. Everyone tells you Mm -hmm. you're going to get better and you Mm want to believe it so bad, but it's not working for you. Like (laughs) things Mm -hmm. aren't clicking for you. Mm -hmm. And so you feel like the anomaly and the outcast and, you know, what's going on with me? Is it my fault? Is it, is my body different? Like what is going on? Right. And that's a lot of, I guess, ups and downs, the just dealing with the having the hope and then, you know, being disappointed having to gear up to try again and try something new and try something different. It's exhausting, right? It is. It is. It's There's so many side effects that come with each medication mm-hmm. potentially, you know, mm-hmm. so sometimes sleep would be affected or sometimes appetite would be affected or, you know, just different things that would come along with each medication. And you had to adjust to that for the month that you were trying it and then mm-hmm. adjust to getting it out of your system when you decided it wasn't working. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of just constant motion and influx, you know, while my son was also growing rapidly in influx, you know, it was all Mm -hmm. kind of chaos. So, and in the meantime, you don't have relief from your symptoms. There's, you were in terms of like the intensity of your depression, how were you doing? I think pretty soon after giving birth, I don't remember how soon I was having suicidal ideations with my Mm -hmm. depression. So that's kind of 
the intensity that it got to. I didn't have them every day, but I had them quite often. And so there were many times that we didn't know what to do with that. We didn't, you know, it was truly difficult to go through that and to be a new mother at the same time and to think like, I just brought life into the world, but I don't know that I want to be here anymore. And I would probably talk about this later, but like the bonding and the attachment, the the delayed attachment that happens with when you're depressed Mm -hmm. and you have a new baby that was added to everything that made me feel even worse that I wasn't bonding with baby Mm -hmm. right away. And he was crying 24 seven and I couldn't do anything to comfort him. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, it was, it was a mess. So my intensity was pretty intense. Yeah. Well, actually, I do want to stay with that for just a moment. The attachment stuff, we can, I guess, attend to it now because it it is super important. Then I'll get back to medication stuff. Would you agree that you'd like to be able to connect in the way that you want to, but it's just like feels out of reach? Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's it's like its own pain. Oh, yeah. And you feel you judge yourself. Again, there's the Mm -hmm. shame and... Mm -hmm the mom guilt and Mm -hmm. the I'm a failure and what's wrong with me? Why Mm -hmm. am I not connecting with my baby when, Mm -hmm. you know, my friend told me about her birth experience and how it was magical and they had skin to skin right away and she was in love and, you know, everything was great. So yeah, it was something that I desperately wanted, but it just felt like this intangible thing that I couldn't achieve. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's also hard just to have a baby who has colic to feel that like connection sometimes anyways, because there are high needs and there's not a lot of downtime, slow time, like quiet time. So that on its own can make it difficult. And so you're then dealing with multiple layers of challenge or struggle at the same time. I mean, at this point in your journey, pregnancy didn't go how you, I assume, wanted it to. Birth was good, postpartum, not so much. Like immediate postpartum that was really difficult. And so like you're dealing with the depression and I imagine some like sadness, like grief type of sadness, that this is not what you wanted. This is not how you envisioned it. So much grief that I'm still processing today. So much grief. I constantly would cry about the things that felt like they weren't working for me and feeling like I was missing out on these experiences that... I was thinking my whole life would be attainable. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. and going back to the breastfeeding even, that was a huge issue and huge grief for me around not being able to do that. A lot of guilt, all that. And so, yeah, there was so much guilt and so much grief. It was constantly kind of just like, what have I lost? What memories have I lost? What time have I lost? And then trying to, at the same time, keep up with my son who is rapidly growing and changing and needs a lot Mm -hmm. from me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's one of the, um, the parts that, you know, we should be talking more about in general is just how much you've, you know, for you and your situation and other people who are really deep in what they're going through that what you said before about the memories Like it is, depression is like being in a thick fog and it is, it's hard to see and move and let alone remember 
certain things, even yes. in the moment, like if you feel, like, oh, I'm for sure going to remember this. Yes. And then yeah. it just goes. It's gone. It's yeah. gone. It's gone. Yeah. I constantly find myself on my phone at nighttime when he's asleep, looking at old photos, old videos and thinking like, was I there? You know, mm. was I present for this? Did I mm. actually record this on my phone? Because I don't remember this at all. And I don't remember the stage or I don't remember him looking like this or, you know, anything like that. So yeah, it, it's, it's almost traumatic how much memory is taken from you with depression. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it for sure. Because you're having to, it's almost like unimaginable that you can't remember it, even though there's evidence you were there. And two, like, I mean, I want to get into the kind of medication trials a little bit more and what that was like. But even at this point, so you've been through so much and have you've already stated that there were times where you didn't feel like being alive at times. Mm-hmm. And there's like something pretty amazing. I'm always amazed by like people who are dealing with really severe and intense depression and anxiety that like you're still trying to go. You're still trying to move forward. You're still like trying to, okay, let's try this medication. Like the desire to feel better, even if it feels really far away, is still really strong. Thank you. Yeah, that is something that I think it's hard that a lot of people don't recognize that you're Mm. trying that hard for something that feels pretty unattainable at that point. And so, yeah, just trying, grasping at anything. It takes a lot of trust in your providers and it takes Mm -hmm. a lot of trust in the process and it takes a lot Mm -hmm. of trust in yourself that you can weather the storm however long it's going to be. But yeah, there were many, many times when it felt like I couldn't keep going and I couldn't try another medication and I couldn't, right? you know, whatever. Yeah. It's hard, you know, with anything that's a chronic meaning long-term, not, you mm-hmm. know, more than a month, even sometimes more than six months, It you do want to give up. Not necessarily always like suicidal thoughts give up, but just like it's exhausting to keep trying. Was there a point for you where that kind of took place where you said like, I just, I need a minute? or you wanted to? I think that point for me would have been around the time I was hospitalized. It was just as hard the whole time. It never got easier and it never got harder necessarily. It was the same intensity the whole time. But around the time I was hospitalized, the thoughts of just not being able to do this anymore and and really like thinking that my son would be uh, truly much better off with a a different person caring for him Mm -hmm. because I was... As a therapist myself, I think I knew too much. And mm. I was thinking, you know, a depressed mother, it's been shown, you know, these studies, a depressed mother is not great for this child. And this it might lead to this or that. And attachment might be poor. And so I was just like snowballing all the time right. with anxiety right. of what my caregiving was doing to him. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I got to a point where it was like, okay, something has to give, like either I'm gone and he's got someone else to take care of him and that's a good thing or some medicine has to work or you know mm-hmm, something mm-hmm. has to change. And so when I think that's probably when I was hospitalized and that was the scariest time of my life. Yeah. How many months postpartum were you at that time? 2 years. So you had been like deep deeps and deep suffering for a long time. Mhm. I want to understand like 
what happened before that as well in terms of like medication trials and yeah if you can walk through that a little a little bit yeah so again i have the spreadsheet of all the medications we tried but we we tried every antidepressant every antipsychotic every mood stabilizer and we tried different combinations and we tried you know, anti-anxiety medications with them and all that. Cause I didn't just have depression. I had major anxiety as well. Yeah. And at some point it was mentioned to me that I had treatment resistant depression. And that was kind of, it was hard to hear and to realize and mm-hmm. to accept, mm-hmm. but that meant looking into new options of not just medication, but things that were out there that helped potentially those with treatment resistant depression. So Mm -hmm. we looked to ketamine first. Mm -hmm. So I tried ketamine. I did like, I think six infusions over two or three weeks. Mm -hmm. Didn't work. Uh, I think it works great for some, just didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. We tried Spravato, which is ketamine, essentially nasal spray. And that didn't work either. So yeah, tried pretty much everything under the sun leading up to the hospitalization, medications and different out of the box, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, things too. Right. Just trying to throw whatever you could at it to see what works and what doesn't. I forgot to ask, did you have like the support of therapist or anything like that while you're going through all of this? Yeah, so I did accept we moved. We were in Chicago when I gave birth and up until six months postpartum. And then we moved to another state uh, at six months postpartum. Mm -hmm. So I lost my therapist because that was a different state. She couldn't practice in it and lost my reproductive psychiatrist. So lost everything in the thick of everything and was trying to do my own research using postpartum support internationals directory and all that to try Mm -hmm. to find providers near me that were qualified. But it took quite honestly, it took up until a few months ago to find a therapist that meshed with me and, and seemed to really understand. And we can talk about that later maybe, but just not be intimidated by the severity of the situation. Mm. And yeah, so I did kind of have a therapist, but there was like a gap there where mm-hmm. I was looking for a new therapist and without a therapist. So that was really, really difficult. Yeah. So, I mean, if your support system is kind of yanked away from you, um, it's even further disorienting. Yep. And I mean, I don't know what kind of like family support you had, where you were versus where you went to. And uh, like all of these factors can affect how you're doing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thankfully, the one constant was my husband throughout all this. He was my rock. He continues to be my rock and Mm. such a good advocate for me um, and for mental health in general. So that was consistent. And that's the one thing that stayed. Mm. (laughs) And I could depend on that. Where we moved to, we moved closer to family. Mm. So we had more options for respite, you know, Mm -hmm. some time away from the crying and Mm -hmm. just some time to try to enjoy each other's company again Mm -hmm. without Mm -hmm. baby. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. 
So going back to like what led up a little bit closer to the hospitalization, what was going on? How did you come to either know that you needed that or Mm -hmm. that somebody knew you needed that? Yeah. So I was actually just progressively, I was checking in with my, the person who was, I think it was a nurse practitioner prescribing at the time for me and checking in with her either weekly or every other week. It was pretty frequent visits that we were having because we were trying to get on top of it, you know? Yeah. And she heard the frequency of my suicidal ideations kind of ramping up Mm. over a few weeks. So she suggested that I go to the hospital voluntarily and see what they could do for me. I know a lot more now. Mm. I think that hospitals save so many people's lives and are so important. For me, it wasn't the right thing at the right time. Mm. For me, it was, it created further trauma and they essentially took me off of all my medication and I was on like next to nothing, which, you know, and I tried to tell them, you know, I had been, I was two years postpartum at this point. So I had tried you know, maybe 30 medications. So I tried to tell Mm -hmm. them the the list of medications that I had tried and they didn't necessarily listen to me. And um, I couldn't see straight for two weeks because of all the medication changes. And I mean, it was just, um, it ended up being more traumatic than helpful, which is really disappointing. Like, you know, we should be able to go to any hospital in our country and, and get good care. Right. But that didn't happen. <laughs> right. As I'm kind of making assumptions as you're talking about there must not have been a reproductive psychiatrist there. Nope. There may nobody trained in perinatal mental health. Nope. Yeah. It was a state hospital and there was there was no one trained in anything perinatal. Wow. So I mean that's just it sucks so much to go someplace to get help and to be there feeling worse. Yes. You said two weeks? I was there for four days. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Thankfully, okay. yeah. Uh, you said something about two weeks, so I misunderstood that. So, in that four days, was there anything that they came to understand that helped? What happened on that fourth day? I essentially had to tell them that I was feeling better because I wanted to go home to see my son. There was no visiting with my son during this time. I was just ripped from him, you know, and there was no therapy offered. There was no group therapy. It, it, there was just nothing happening. Mm. So by the fourth day, I was talking with a social worker and I just kind of unfortunately told them what they needed to hear and said, you know, yeah, I'm feeling better. You know, I'm not not thinking about hurting myself and I would love to go home to see my kid and my husband. And they understood that that was how I felt and said, okay, and they discharged me. But it feels just not good having to just like play the game, so to speak, Oh yeah. to get out when that's the place that I wanted to hopefully find some help. Right. So it was really, again, it was really disappointing and really distressing. And, and then you have to start from square one Yep. back on medication. And like the, course, the little bit that you did have that helped, however little right. that it helped was gone. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was discharged with, you know, for example, I have insomnia, mm-hmm. which is 
something that we've learned recently. Discharge with nothing for sleep and nothing for anxiety, a very, very tiny dose of Zoloft and maybe one other medication, but it was just, you know, I knew I had had enough experience that this wasn't going to cut it, mm-hmm. <laughs> that what they were mm-hmm. discharging me with was essentially nothing. And mm-hmm. it was, yeah, that was disappointing. So this was about a year ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What has happened since then, like with medication, with you and yeah. So again, continued to trial medications. There's been a few new ones that have come out. You know, I oh, throughout this process, there's been new medications that have come out. So I have tried those as they come out. Mm-hmm. Most of them have not worked, <laughs> but one of them is a newer medication and I started about a month ago mm-hmm. and it has started to lift the depression fog. It's a little scary to say that out loud because yes, yes. I don't want to jinx it and I don't want to, it's hard for me to believe that it might actually be helping a little bit yep. <laughs> because when you're depressed for so long, you mm-hmm. it's like hard to fathom another world where you're yeah. not depressed. Right. So yeah, so this new medication that I've been on for about a month is lifting the fog a bit. It's not um it's not a cure-all, it's not perfect. It's not like something that makes everything better all of a sudden, but mm-hmm. it's it's lifting the fog a bit. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, I hear you that it's hard to be hopeful and hard to like trust good things when things have felt so bad for so long too. Yeah. That's just a super real feeling and experience. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota and I am your host for the podcast No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm sorry that you've had to experience 
this for so long or at all really, but also for so long and deal with, unfortunately, like huge gaps and mistakes maybe in our medical system. I don't know how you would describe it, but I imagine sitting where I'm sitting that that might be a part of, you know, how and why it is, I guess anyways, like how much harder it's made your process. Yes. So I'm currently working with a therapist, just to kind of give you a snapshot. Mm -hmm. I'm currently working with a therapist who does EMDR Mm -hmm. for trauma. Mm -hmm. And we're focusing primarily on the hospitalization because Mm -hmm. I have so many flashbacks daily of the hospitalization. Mm -hmm. So that gives you a sense of kind of the impact it had on my process. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I will say is that, again, I went to a state hospital. I didn't know that when I went. I found out once I was in there that it was Mm. a state hospital. So they have certain outcomes they need to see. And, you know, they need to discharge people feeling better. And, you know, things need to look kind of neatly wrapped up with a bow. Mm. And I think that's part of the problem. I think my case wasn't going to get better necessarily in an acute four-day stay. Mm -hmm. I think there could have been new medication tried. I think... If there would have been therapy there, there would have been potential for working through some things. But Mm -hmm. I don't think that my two-year-plus journey was going to just be resolved in four days at the hospital. But on paper, it looks like I'm another success story. It looks Mm -hmm. like I have successfully gone through their program that they are touting in this state as quite a a new program that is important. Mm -hmm. And... That's what's frustrating is that I'm truly, that I know that I'm not the only one, that I've talked to other people since being out or even when I was in there that essentially said what they needed to say to get out because it was such a terrible experience and such a terrible environment and there was nothing helping them and there was no therapy, just nothing. So, so many of us on paper look like we... Mm-hmm. Our success stories and products of a great mental health system when we're not. <laughs> Man, that's really a painful process. I mean, the like a horrible irony of that you have to lie about feeling better at a place where you're trying to get help in order to get out of the place that's making you feel worse. Just like mind bending how bad that is. Really, really rough. And then now you have to spend time, effort, energy, money, whatever else to recover. Yep. Oh, it's really, really brutal. And, you know, I think what's additionally difficult is that if you're suffering, you're not going to be the person who's like, you guys aren't doing a good job or like trying to (laughs) like, you know, be some like advocate while you're suffering. It's just not possible. So you you have to like save yourself. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You have to just like you come first and you have to save yourself and get out of there. Mm -hmm. You can't make yourself an example for other people or, you know, do something to make a statement or something. Yeah. I mean, I think this speaks volumes and obviously this could be like several episodes long just of how how the, the medical system and this, what you're describing is one of the reasons why people feel afraid to say anything is that they're going to go into a hospital and it's going to be worse. And unfortunately, sometimes that's true. And it just, we need more perinatal mental health, maternal mental health, IOP programs and places where, where people really get it um, to avoid all, all of what you have gone through. 
it's just so much to deal with on top of so much to deal with. You know, your journey, as we talked about at the beginning, that you're really wanting for people to know that these things happen, that quote unquote treatment resistant depression happens and that, you know, people like you exist. And like, what do you want people to know and to take away and to hear from what you've been through? Yeah, I want to finally be heard. <laughs> yeah, I want to know that there's going to be people out there that hear this and say, oh, me too. Mm -hmm. um, and f hopefully stop feeling alone. Because what I was looking for throughout pregnancy and all of postpartum this entire time, I was looking, I was going through all podcasts, all the books, all everything. There was no one story that talked about it like this. Right. There was no one that that kind of laid it out on the line. And mm -hmm. everyone kind of tends to wrap it up in a neat little bow and says, within a few months on medication with therapy, I, I felt better, mm -hmm. which is great. And that's the majority of people, mm -hmm. but that's not everybody. And mm -hmm. I have since creating uh, my own Instagram page for this and a blog, I've met and talked to so many moms that have said, you know, here I'm on year four, I'm on year five of, my postpartum journey and I'm feeling you, you know, I'm going through the same thing. So I just want people to know that things aren't always neatly tied up in a bow and pretty, and you don't find the right medication right away sometimes. And, you know, mm -hmm. things it's trial and error and mental health is a ton of trial and error and you have to stay the course and you have to hold out hope. And I just hope that other people know that they're not alone when they hear mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for for sharing your story and sharing some like really difficult and for, you know, traumatic truths of your experience. It takes a lot to get to a point where you feel like you can share this even if you are screaming inside for the whole world to know, but I just appreciate how that you've come to share this and that you are coming on here to to try and ensure that other people feel seen and heard at the same time that you deserve to be seen and heard as well. Thank you. Yes. Well, I wish you the best. I will you. keep you in my thoughts and I'm hopeful for you and, you know, appreciate that you've come on to share. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Please go do find Lynn on Instagram at my journey with PPD. And share this episode with whoever you can. Really, the more we can get the word out about all of the conditions that we talk about on the Mom and Mind podcast, the better off everyone else will be because these stories are important. They need to be shared and they need to be heard. And there are people out there who haven't yet shared their story who will feel comforted beyond belief by hearing that somebody else is going through the same thing. I thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at Mom and Mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. 
The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 